Today's Bible reading comes from Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 32. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, so that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the word of God. Even though I checked lots of times through the week, it's always good when the Bible passage is the passage you've prepared your sermon on. (laughs) For those of you that don't know me, my name is Colleen and I come to this service and a couple of times a year I get to speak and I'm really excited about speaking on this passage this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you are with us. I thank you for all that we've heard this morning already all the ways that you've ministered to us and encouraged us. Lord, we pray that you will continue to encourage us with your word right now. Lord, I pray that there will be things that come out of this passage that speak to every single one of us. May you engrave them on our hearts, God. May we listen and be open to all that you want to do, God. Amen. I think you'd all agree that we live in a society that celebrates out with the old and in with the new. There's the new house, the new haircut, the new outfit, finishing preschool, starting school, the new job, finishing work, retiring. 
Just have to look at people's Facebook feed to see that we celebrate the new. The new is exciting, isn't it? It holds so much potential. It can be long awaited. It feels fresh and invigorating, full of opportunity, and it's to be celebrated. This morning, we are going to be looking at putting off the old self and putting on the new self the ultimate, out with the old, in with the new. The fact that we are made new in Christ is amazing. Let's just try to get our heads around it for a minute. Our old ways have been overturned. Our brokenness is restored. Our hopelessness replaced with a hope that cannot be shaken. Our separation and disconnection replaced with God's love that can never be separated from. This is new. This is exciting. It's to be celebrated. It holds so much opportunity. And in this passage, we get to see the opportunity that being new creations brings to the way that we live. As Paul unpacks what putting off our old selves and putting on our new selves means for our thinking, our actions, and our interactions with each other. For those of you that have been tracking through Ephesians with us, you might have noticed that Paul uses this old, new comparison quite a lot. In fact, to this point, he's used it four times. So this is a key message that Paul wants us to get. Paul wants to make sure that the Ephesians and the future followers of Christ, that's us, understand who we are in Christ and how that affects our day-to-day living and our actions. So at the start of this passage, Paul builds a pretty sombre picture of how the Gentiles think and act. And in this passage, Paul isn't using the term Gentile in an ethnic sense, but also in a moral sense. He's using it to describe people that don't follow Jesus or his way of life. And he's also therefore providing a contrast of what the old self looks like when we're not with Christ. In verses 17 to 19, He outlines this picture, which includes futile thinking, a separation from the life of God, darkened understanding, ignorance, being given over to sensuality, deceitful desires and greed. Pretty sombre list, isn't it? I think it's worth just focusing on a couple of the original Greek words that were used in this part of the passage to fully understand what our old self means, because I think we can glide over some of those things. Firstly, matiotes. I had fun last night on a Greek website learning how to say that. It was matiotes. (laughs) And this is the word that has been translated in the NIV to futility. This word expresses meaninglessness, uselessness, worthlessness, and emptiness. And that's the same word that was used a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes, probably reminding you of that, that book. The next Greek word I want to look at is pleonexia, and this is the desire, the drive to always have more and to want things that aren't ours. So it's not just about sexual lust, or it can be that, but it's also about discontentment with what we have, always wanting more, greed. So if you think about that list and you think about the meaning of these words, of always wanting to have more of having thinking that's useless or empty, of having a hard heart, of focusing on what feels good, 
It's pretty easy to see, isn't it, that none of us are immune to the old self. The old self does not only encapsulate a life that bad people have led. The old self captures a life that all of us have led before getting our new self. In this old self, we are in desperate need of God. We are consumed by our own needs and desires and priorities. I think of it as seeing the world and interacting with the world in me, coloured glasses. Now, if you're listening online, I've now got a pair of big glasses on my face that have the words me on them. So everything is interpreted through these glasses. It's all about me, I need to feel good, I'm going to help this person because it makes me feel good and everyone will like me, I need the latest thing, I need to be financially secure. Without God, this is how we would continue to think. I, 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 me, me, me. But in the next paragraph of this letter, we get to see the contrast, the new, and how this has been made possible. So just reading that part, it says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we have this new self because Jesus is truth. We have this new self because of the knowledge and teachings of Jesus. And we have a new self because we have been created right from God's initial plan to be like him. So we have this new self and Paul urges us to put off the old self and put on the new self. God has created and facilitated the new self and we need to take off the old self and put on the new. Can you hear the doing? Put off, put on. It involves choosing and acting. And can you hear the partnership in that passage as well? God has created us to be like him. Jesus has shown us the way and made the way for us to be righteous and holy. And we need to wear it, to own it and to actively use it. When Jamie and I first met at uni many, many years ago, we both left a lot to be desired in the fashion sense. So when I first met Jamie, he was wearing grey King G pants, which I think were left over from school, a T-shirt and a cut-off flannelette jumper, and his wide-brim cricket hat, which had definitely seen better days. Now, I wasn't much better because in winter, on mornings like this, I had to leave home very early, lived at Pendle Hill, was studying at Randwick. I didn't want to get cold, so I just put my clothes on over my pyjamas. <laughs> and so I had this very university bulky look happening. And when I sat down in class, and you know how pants inevitably come up, you'd see my star-speckled green pyjamas underneath. Now, miracle upon miracles, we actually started dating. <laughs> Clearly, we were attracted to each other's personalities. <laughs> and so when a couple of years later we started dating, I, I decided to have a mission to get Jamie to start wearing jeans. Okay. So first of all, I started talking to him about the jeans. They're so comfy. They go with everything. You don't have to wash them for ages. They hide the dirt really well. <laughs> that didn't work. 
So then I took him shopping for jeans. Try these ones. These will look good. The shop assistant was helping. It's <laughs> Jamie's reaction. Then I bought him some jeans. I wasn't going to give up. I encouraged him to wear them. I told him how hot he'd look in his jeans. I continued to wear jeans to model to him what he should do. But for a long, long time, he would not put on those new jeans that were just sitting in his cupboard. You see, this fashion mission that I had was not a partnership. It was a one-way mission. Jamie wasn't a willing participant. He hadn't renewed his thinking about how good he would look in jeans. And so the jeans just sat there in his cupboard. He did not throw out his King G's and he did not put on his new fashion self. And we have this amazing new self way, way, way better than jeans. And it's not for sitting there because the old self is more comfortable. And it's not for sitting there because the idea of a new self is just a nice idea. We need to wear it. And the message version captures this really well. It says everything and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through, get rid of it, and then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside. So in the rest of this chapter, Paul unpacks what it actually means to put on the new self, to wear it and to live as a new creation. So this is the whole list of things, lots of things. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour. Do not sin in your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let the devil have a foothold. Do not steal. Find some other way of having a livelihood. Share with others in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Build each others up. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander. Get rid of every type of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. This list is all about how we continue to put on the new self. What do you notice about this list? Jeans aren't mentioned. I know we're onto the more quality things now. There's do nots, yeah. There's do's. There's lots of do nots and do's, isn't there? But these are all about how we interact with others. Everything on this list is about living a life that benefits and builds up others. It's about fostering community. Max Turner says that we are no longer alienated, independent beings, but people who now belong together in unity with others. So you see, if the old self is about wearing the me-coloured glasses, the new self is about wearing we glasses. When we tell the truth, when we earn money rather than stealing, when we deal with our anger and when we share with others, when we use our words to build others up instead of being offensive or malicious, when we are kind and compassionate and when we are people of forgiveness, we are wearing the we. Can you imagine the power of everyone walking around wearing these we glasses? Even if we just took one of those things, like using our words to build each other up. Can you imagine what would happen? Wouldn't it be amazing if everyone was doing that? It really would be your will on earth as it is in heaven, wouldn't it? 
we see just how important living out the new self is in verse 30, where it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for that day of redemption. What a verse, hey? This verse captures so much. It captures how relational God is and how much we mean to the Holy Spirit that he would actually be moved and grieved when we do not live out our new identity. It captures the weightiness of living as new creations in a way that builds the body. But I think it's really important to note what it does not capture, what it doesn't infer or what it doesn't mention, and that's abandonment. I think often we automatically read the Holy Spirit grieves equals Holy Spirit will leave us, we'll be alone. That's not what it says. What it does show us, though, is that living as new creations, particularly in how we relate to others, is so important to God, and it's his heart desire for us to be our new selves. It can feel hard, though, living out the new, and that is why we need our, our we coloured glasses to be we, so that we can be we. Minded. It is all because of what God has done and our ongoing relationship with him that the new can happen. We need to remember the context that this chapter sits in because if we just read this part of Ephesians, we'll be like, oh my gosh, there's all these do's and do nots. But remember that the previous three chapters have all been about what God has done in us and what he's done for us. And in fact, in Christ is used over 20 times in Ephesians. We've got to keep that in our minds as we consider this passage. And in Christ fits with what we know theologically, obviously, but it also fits with what we know about the brain. Now, I'm going to do a bit of a digression here, but it does relate, so bear with me. For those of you that don't know, I'm a social worker and a family therapist, and I work in the mental health field. And so understanding the brain is very important to my job. So this year I decided to do some extra study and I've been studying neurobiology and developmental trauma. And one of the really exciting things I've been learning more about is the plasticity of the brain. For many, many years the brain was thought of as static. Once it finished developing in childhood and adolescence that that was what you got. And what that meant was that there was very little hope of reversing any damage from physical injury or psychological trauma, that there was very little hope about being able to shift behaviours and personality traits. And the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, really captured what we thought about the brain. But now there is a hugely growing understanding of how adaptable the brain is and how even the most underdeveloped or adversely affected brain can grow and change and reverse damage. And there are three things that have been found to be key in changing the brain. Relationship, repetition, and rhythm. So the three R's. The key way to change the brain is in the context of relationship. So for example, if we had an adult that when they were a child was mistreated, their brain stress response system would become overactive and hypervigilant as its way of protecting itself and dealing with what happened when they were a kid. And that will continue to be in play as an adult. So they might come and see me 
to get some help regulating their emotions and dealing with distress. Now, I could teach them some stress management strategies. I could teach them ways to regulate their emotions, but that isn't going to work unless they get to experience a safe and secure relationship with at least one person in their life. It's in the experience of safety and relationship that the brain changes. It's not just in the knowing. And then after relationship, the two key things that promote plasticity and brain development is repetition and rhythm. As I've been doing this course in neurobiology, I've been struck by how these three principles of what facilitates brain plasticity also applies to how we live out our new creation life. Now, I probably shouldn't be surprised at that, given God made the brain. He's the inventor of neurobiology. But it's so cool to see how these things fit together. And my mind has been going crazy as I've been sitting in class. If we go back to verses 22 to 24 in this passage, we can see that one of the formative steps in living out this new creation is being made new in the attitude of our minds. And God provides all that we need to be new in the attitude of our minds. He provides the ultimate relationship that is safe and secure. He gives us the opportunity for repetition, and he's very repetitious, and he gives us rhythm. Firstly, relationship. Our relationship with God, his love for us, is the ultimate safe and secure relationship for us to develop and grow. And it's in this relationship with God that we can understand God's ways and become more like him. We become more like the people we hang out with, don't we? 15 years on into marriage, Jamie's wearing jeans today. Stand up. We become more like the people we hang out with. Jamie wears jeans. Kids develop little mannerisms that their parents have or little sayings their parents have. I heard Luella saying to our puppy this week, I'm not going to say this again. And have you ever been around someone that has an accent? And even if you're just with them for a bit of time, you might accidentally say a word that sounds like how they'd say it. So when we spend time with God, when we're in relationship with God, it allows us to pick up God's accent in our thoughts and in our actions and in our interactions with others. In being in God and with God, we come to resemble God more. Secondly, repetition. Now, I think we can all safely know that repetition is needed to build good habits and to learn. And now that we understand more about neurobiology, we know that repetition is useful because it creates and strengthens neural pathways, a track in our brain that is likely to be followed. And this leads to changes in the way that we think and behave. So I propose three ways, let's get some repetition happening. So firstly, in our relationship with God. Let's spend time with God regularly. In those intentional times when we're setting aside time to pray and read the Bible and worship and journal, let's do that regularly. But let's also turn to God in those day-to-day moments regularly rather than to other things. So for example, if you're feeling overwhelmed, And all through your mind is just like, how am I going to get this done? You're dwelling on how overwhelmed you feel. 
Let's be repetitious about taking that feeling of being overwhelmed to God instead, rather than repeating the overwhelmed thought. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us create those strong neural pathways by bringing to our attention what he wants to do and his promises to us. And let's get repetition happening in our understanding and acceptance of our new creation status, of who we are in Christ. Read all the verses in the Bible about being new creations, lots. Memorise them. Write promises of who you are in Christ on your mirror. Put reminders in your phone. Even if it's hard to believe some days, repeat it. Create that defined neural pathway. And again, ask the Holy Spirit to remind you of who you are in Him, bringing His truth to your mind over and over again. And let's get repetition happening in our actions, our actions that build others up, that speak truth, that are kind and compassionate and being quick to forgive. Let's do this lots. Let's put our we on repeatedly. So we have relationship we have repetition, and now finally we have rhythm. The Oxford Dictionary defines rhythm as a strong, regular, repeated pattern of movement or sound. So there's that repetition again. But the other key words here are strong, regular, pattern, and movement. This is all about creating an active pattern across your day or your week that allows you to engage in the we with God and with others. God gave us a rhythm way back when he created the world and on the seventh day he rested. Sabbath is an example of rhythm. And we have another example in this very passage. In verse 26, it says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. The rhythm here is deal with your anger before the day is up. Contain the possibility of your anger leading you to sin to just one day. So let's create a rhythm of putting off the old self, of putting off the me. And let's create a rhythm of putting on our new self, of putting on the we. And putting on the we in community and also with God. So let's start the rhythm of our day in this way. If you need to imagine me every morning when you wake up with these ridiculous glasses on to help you remember to create this rhythm, then please feel free to do so. But let's carve out time each day, each week to live out the we. Not as an added extra, because that's not what rhythm's about, but as a pattern. Let's make it a rhythm of how we do life. We have everything we need to be new creations and to live out our new selves. We have God's plan and his intentional creation of us to be like him and in relationship with him. We have Christ's sacrifice that made us new and we have the Holy Spirit continuing to work in us. And we have the very things we need to be made new in the attitude of our minds. Putting off the old self, putting on the new. Relationship, repetition and rhythm. There are two questions I want to leave you with this morning. Firstly, which of the R's do you need to focus on? And secondly, this week, how can you be more we-orientated rather than me-orientated? Let me pray. 
Lord God, it is incredible what you have done, that we can stand here this morning and say we are new. I thank you so much for that being part of your plan way back when you created us, when you thought about us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you went through for us to be new. And Holy Spirit, thank you for the work you continue to do in us. And Lord, I pray that we will allow ourselves to be the new, to be we-orientated, to rest in our relationship with you and out of that to be active in the way that we live out who you want us to be. Lord, I pray this week that you will be reminding us, that you will be renewing us, that we will be open to your love and your promptings. And Lord, we look forward to all that can come out of living as new creations. Amen.